0: Today we're looking at the state of entrepreneurship and education, its role in education reform, and how it has led to disruptive change in the field. We're with the co-editor of a new Harvard Education Press book, Educational Entrepreneurship Today, co-edited by Rick Hess, who's the director of education policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. Welcome, Rick.
1: Hey, thanks, Matt. Good to be with you.
0: Rick, answer me this first question. Why is entrepreneurship such a hot topic in education? It's what everyone's talking about, everyone's writing about. Why does it have so much pickup and resonance?
1: Um, you know, it's a darn good question. <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, I, I think partly it's because, you know, so much of the world that we see around us uh, is being improved not by bureaucracies and not by. Uh, well-intentioned people coming up with grand schemes, often corporate or government offices, uh, but by creative, smart, passionate people figuring out how to build things. Um, it feels more satisfying, and I think it tend to be the way that um, – You know, our nation has worked best over the over the centuries.
0: I think definitely being an entrepreneur is something that a lot of people in education strive to be. Is it harder to be an education entrepreneur than to say be an an entrepreneur in a different field, say in medicine, science or the tech industry? There's a few more challenges once you get into the sort of education world in being disruptive.
1: I think it it depends on the field. Uh, This is, you know, part of what's always fascinated me. Um, I started thinking about this stuff, you know, really back when I was in a classroom, when I was right out of Harvard Ed uh, with my teaching credential a quarter century ago, because one of the things that always struck me when I was teaching high school in Baton Rouge was how so many well intentioned people (coughs) just seemed to live such a frustrating existence. Uh, in the teacher's lounge, at school faculty meetings, uh, you heard any number of people who had thoughts on how you might serve kids better who just felt stymied. And I think one of, one of the, the, the points of efforts to rethink schooling over the last two, three decades to my mind, has, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, has been about trying to remove some of those obstacles and barriers, so that education is more receptive to people who are trying to solve problems um, in new ways, and that people can have more success doing so. I think charter schooling, I think uh, school choice laws, I think uh, teacher licensure barriers um, being reduced, I think uh, the role of ed technology. I think all of these things have helped create an environment where educational entrepreneurship might still be trickier than in a lot of fields, but is certainly much more, um, you know, plays a much more significant role than it did when I came into the teaching profession.
0: Rick, a little bit about the structure of the book Educational Entrepreneurship Today with, with Harvard Education Press. It, it, you assemble essentially a, a nice, diverse group of individuals talking about both successes and failures in the entrepreneurial scene in education. Just a little brief uh, snippet or vignette about one of those instances in your books for the viewers. Sure. Um, you, know, you know, the book
1: really starts with uh, Stacy Childress, a uh, once upon a time, a Harvard Business School professor, uh, now CEO of New Schools Venture Fund. <laughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, talking about, excuse me, uh, talking about what we've just hit upon, which is the changing landscape for educational entrepreneurship over time. Uh, Stacy talks about uh, how the how the laws have changed, how the culture has changed, and what that has meant, practically speaking. Uh, One of my personal favorite chapters is penned by Matt Candler, um, CEO of 4.0 Schools, a uh, new uh, education incubator down in New Orleans, where their whole purpose is to get together educators with um, engineers and folks who know tech and folks who have ties in the community to devise new schools, new ways of serving kids, um, new services that can help schools succeed. And one of the things Matt really talks about is how we tend to get ourselves in trouble when we only focus on new schools as, as the focus of entrepreneurship. Matt says, look, that's just too big. There's too many moving parts. It's too hard to get new schools that really work well right out the gate. Um, it means you need to assemble a lot of money. So one of the things Matt really talks about is what he calls tiny schools, where you're starting the way uh, the KIPP schools started 20-some years ago, where you're starting with just a classroom, just a teacher and some kids and a new model, and you're figuring out how to make that work at a tiny scale before you start worrying about getting facilities and capital funding and building a whole school infrastructure.
0: Rick, you mentioned Matt, you mentioned Stacy. These are entrepreneurs doing entrepreneurial things. Is there one common denominator of what makes someone a successful entrepreneur in the education space when you're looking at all these examples, all these great cases, um, is there one quality of the founder or the innovator behind them that is unique, that is common amongst all of them?
1: Well, you know, there's people who spent a lot of time thinking deeply about what makes entrepreneurs entrepreneurs and what makes them successful. Um, I think in a lot of ways, what makes somebody a successful entrepreneur is the same thing that makes people great educators in the first place. Um, they have a passion uh, for finding ways to uh, better educate and uh, cultivate uh, children's interests and needs and, and meet their needs. And Uh, help them grow as people, Um, that they're not wedded to conventional ways of doing things, Uh, that they're out looking for opportunities to solve big and important problems on behalf of kids. Um, And frankly, I mean, these are the same things that I think most of us always look for when we're talking about somebody who's a great uh, classroom educator. It's just that they're applying these skills in a somewhat different context.
0: Rick, do you ever apply some of this to your own work? Uh, just anecdotally, as someone who reads your blog on Education Week, I mean, it's called Rick Hess Straight Up. and in, in my opinion, that's a very entrepreneurial title that gets catches your attention and does something slightly different.
1: Um, well, I, I do think that, you know, part of the culture of education um, is this culture of nice, that we don't want to say unpleasant things, that we want everybody to feel good about what's going on, and that obviously can be really useful. Um, I think it also, though, can get in the way of honesty. Um, It can make it hard for us to look with with fresh eyes at what's going on. Um, It can lead us to be uncomfortable with changes which are going to be disruptive in some fashion. So I think, uh, you know, part of what the entrepreneurs bring to to the table is that they're offering ways to think about problems differently and to solve them in potentially more powerful ways. And I think what, you know, what useful scholars and policy thinkers um, can do is we have the freedom to do that same kind of thing, to look with fresh eyes, to speak our truth honestly, um, and to try to create room for people who want to do more than be you know, one more well-intentioned cog in the bureaucracy.
0: Rick, the name of the book is Educational Entrepreneurship Today, but if it was called Education Entrepreneurship Tomorrow, what, what would you give as advice for, for entrepreneurs? What are the biggest hurdles and challenges that they're going to have to face moving forward? Is it always a question of funding, of policy shifts? What are the biggest changes that you look forward to uh, or that you don't look forward to in the future that are both p- pr- positive or negative? Yeah, well, you just put your finger on one right there, Matt.
1: Policy matters a ton uh, when, you're being an, when you're operating as an entrepreneur in any environment. Um, some fields, you're more insulated from policy shifts. Others, you're less. Education, policy matters a lot day-to-day for entrepreneurs. So one is entrepreneurs need to understand the policy environment of education um, and be prepared to deal with it. Um, second is that I think one of the things you really hear from a lot of today's uh, most prominent entrepreneurs, folks at outfits like Mastery Connect and Class Dojo and Learn Zillion and Better Lesson, um, is that they've learned, I think, some humility. Um, They've seen some of the earlier uh, efforts at educational entrepreneurship get caught up in overpromising and sounding as if they are going to be one-stop solutions for educational challenges, uh, getting caught up in what can sound like attacks on teachers. And I think what you see with today's education entrepreneurs is a much healthier sense that they have an important role to play, but it's an important role alongside educators and families. Um, and I think people going into educational entrepreneurship, people who think of themselves as educational entrepreneurs who are going into these various fields need to keep that, uh, the, that mindset. And third, um, the most important thing is that you're solving an important problem in a promising way. Um, a lot of times when we talk about education reform, it's easy for people to get caught up talking about passion, talk about messaging, uh, or talk about you know, innovation. Well, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to be innovative. You need to solve a problem. Your passion is great, but the question is, are you solving a problem well? And I think that's more than anything else what successful entrepreneurs really need to focus upon.
0: Rick, uh, last question. Who do you hope this book reaches most? Is this a general book? Is this a book for people, parents, educators, people starting their own nonprofit, trying to disrupt the education system? What's like the ideal audience for this book?
1: yeah you know I think it's less it's it's really not a book for parents and families. It's really a book for people who are in the education field as professionals. So I think that means school and system leaders who are interested in uh, getting much more creative about how they meet the needs of their kids. Uh, I think it's classroom teachers and I think people preparing to be teachers who want to expand their vision of what's possible for the profession. um and I certainly think Uh, It's folks at foundations, uh, folks in the policy space, um, folks in and around the world of educational entrepreneurship who really want to understand uh, what it is, um, what it takes to succeed, and why it has the possibility of doing so much good uh, for the nation's kids.
0: The name of the book is Educational Entrepreneurship Today, edited by Rick Hess and Michael McShane. It's available at HEPG.org. Thank you, Rick, for being always refreshing, candid, and open about all the things that you learn. And we're very proud to call you an alum.
1: Hey, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Thanks so much.
0: This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.